2: Twitter is like, it's, it's sparring to me, you know, it's, it's like, it's sparring, it's, 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 it's the guy on the basketball court, you know, doing suicide drills.
3: Hi, welcome to Radio Motherboard. I'm Adrian Jeffries, and I love Twitter. I joined the site in 2008, which is sort of early, but nothing really to brag about. And my first tweet was working, spelled with an E instead of an O. Since then, I've used Twitter to follow the news and find stories to write about, casually talk to people I look up to, and advertise my own work. Occasionally, I make jokes or live tweet events or debates. I like Twitter because it's fun, but I'm also afraid of Twitter. Afraid that one day, I will do or say something that will get some person or some group really angry and the fact that I have a fairly public Twitter persona will become my nightmare. For this reason, and for my own general sanity, I try not to talk to people on Twitter who seem at all combative. Instead, I just block them. Blocking someone on Twitter means you no longer see their tweets, and if they're logged in, they will no longer see yours. I now have 532 people blocked on Twitter. I have no idea who they are or what caused me to block them. It occurred to me that this is a pretty big number. I started to wonder if this was higher or lower than other people I know. Am I blocking too aggressively? Am I running away from conversations or ideas I should be confronting? To find out, I called up a few people who run in roughly the same Twitter circles I do. Do you want me to try and look at it right now? Uh, yeah, if you don't mind. All right. What would your guess be? Uh, I might be up around 100 at this point. That's Casey Johnston. She's an editor at Wirecutter and a freelance writer. She has 24,070 followers on Twitter. Okay, so I
4: logged in, Um, show my blocked users.
3: 313. Okay, so I have more people blocked than Casey. I next tried asking Katie Natopoulos, who's a senior editor at Buzzfeed. She has 26,984 followers on Twitter, but she says she doesn't have that many people blocked.
5: You know, this is, I'm looking at my block list, and for the most part, the things I had blocked were, this is really funny, back before there was mute, the only way to, like, stop an annoying, from, like, seeing an annoying account was to block it. Mm -hmm. And I blocked, one thing that I hated seeing was when people would retweet their Fabstar notifications. (laughs) Because I was just like, oh, that is so thirsty and so I block like I have like 25 different fast Star bots blocked and then for some reason Aaron Paul and I know exactly why I was Mm. fucking sick of seeing people retweet Aaron Paul like I (laughs) do not find him that funny or amusing but like he joined Twitter and people loved Aaron Paul Uh and they were like oh my god he's eating a sandwich that's so funny yeah and I was like no this has to end I I never want to see this again and you never did I never did. Katie
3: tends to use Twitter's mute feature rather than the block feature. Muting a user you don't follow means you will never see their tweets in your timeline. If you mute a user you do follow, you will only see their tweets that mention you. Muted users can still follow you, however, and see your tweets. But they don't have any way of knowing that they've been muted.
5: The weirdest thing about the block is that that was the only tool for a long time until... Two years ago, they introduced mute. Like, that's a kind of recent addition. And so I'm a huge fan of muting, but I almost never block.
3: Almost Um, never, really.
5: And my reasoning is that there's a lot of reasons why I mute someone. Sometimes it's someone that I follow that I, like, secretly, I'm like, "Uh, this person I don't really like following. But, you know, to be polite, I'll make it. I'm just going to mute them, you know? Like maybe they're talking about Donald Trump too much that day or something like that. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to follow, but eh, it's a little too much. Um, and then, you know, f- f- for trolls, I like to mute because if it's someone who's just, like, in your mentions kind of harassing you, I find that I don't like giving them the satisfaction of knowing they're blocked, Um, because no one knows if they're muted. They only know if they're blocked. And I think that a lot of trolls find it, like, fun. Like, it's kind of like if someone blocked you, you won. You got under their skin. You made them, like, kind of go to the principal and, like, complain about it, almost. Um, And I think that a lot of trolls find satisfaction in that. I mean, to a degree, I kind of find satisfaction in that. Like, and I generally don't think I'm trying to harass anyone too much. Um, but like, you know, if you find that you've been blocked by someone that you've kind of been like disagreeing with or, I mean, ideally reasonably, but um, you're kind of like, wow, like I guess, they, I guess they have no chill, you know? They couldn't take it. Um,
3: have you been blocked by many people?
5: Um, I think that I don't know. Um... I, I very easily may have been. Um, I mean, like, two notable people that I can think of off the top of my head is where I've noticed I've been blocked. One was Scott Bayo, who, like... <laughs> this was years ago. There was kind of, like... He used to be kind of, like, outspoken on Twitter for kind of having these, like, really conservative ideas. And also, like, he's Scott Bayo, so he's kind of, like, a target to make fun of. Um, and there was a time where, like a bunch of people were all tweeting at him, like, you wear diapers. And he got really upset. Um, and, you know, would tweet, like, who's starting this rumor that I wear diapers? I don't wear diapers. And, like, that was, to make Scott Bayo say that was, like, incredibly funny. And I participated in that. And he ended up blocking everyone who said, like, I heard you wear diapers. So Scott Baio blocked me. And, I, you know, I was like, ha, 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 that's so funny. Like, he noticed me, you know, like, I can't believe that I've had such an effect as, like, a small peon to the famous Scott Bayo that he had to take the, the initiative to actually block me. Wow. Um, and then I, you know, as someone who I sort of had been friendly with online, I noticed one day had blocked me, and I took great offense to that, because I was like, you know, I I don't remember, you know, having a falling out with this person. I don't know why they blocked me. And, you know, I can't ask them at this point either. Um, and now so, that, why do
3: you feel like you can't ask them? Because some people do ask.
5: Well, you literally can't reach out to them.
3: You can find their email address. I mean, I, or, I don't know this
5: person's email.
3: You know, I, I, I had no other way of reaching this person. If, you had, if this person had their email address public where you could have found it, would you have asked them um, why they did this thing to you?
5: I don't think I would. I think that, like, as a point of pride, that seems too sad. (laughs) To be like, oh, why'd you block me? It's You know, it's it's like Twitter isn't real, you know? I mean, it is and it isn't. Um, But, like, if someone's sick, I mean, like, one thing that definitely occurred to me was, like, maybe this was completely accidental, like, I think that does happen sometimes, you accidentally block someone, Um, but, you know, if the answer was, well, I'm mad at you for some reason, and I hate your guts, I I don't really want to know that, (laughs) you know, so, I don't know, I mean, I just sort of, I had to, I had to make peace with it.
3: There are also tools that will let you block people en masse on Twitter. The most famous one is probably the Good Game autoblocker, which was used in late 2014 to make a list of people who were allegedly part of the Gamergate movement. If you use this list, you can block 10,297 people at once. That's helpful when you're fighting a large mob, but it's also imprecise. Critics said the list pulled in too many people who weren't actually part of the movement or part of the problem.
4: I mean, I don't know. I definitely thought about using like the Gamergate autoblocker um for example but mm-hmm. i like had at least one person who i personally knew in real life who was like really into that movement and like we had conversations and you know they you know choose to do whatever they want to do and you know it was kind of hard cuz it's like oh i actually care about this friend so mm-hmm. i felt really conflicted about using it cuz i knew they would also get automatically blocked by that that's Kat
3: Small, a game developer and product designer who currently works at SoundCloud.
4: Part of me also just wanted to have the ability to like monitor like what was going on. And so I felt like the benefits of being able to kind of like watch out for myself in that kind of way, where it's like you're seeing what people are talking about.
3: I think, yeah, it lets you preserve the ability to maybe reach across the aisle in a constructive way at some point.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing I have about blocking is, like, I really don't want to do it unless there's just, like, this clear pattern of, like, anger and, like, lack of empathy to the point where there's just no way to, like, productively have a conversation with the person on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a lot. Like, I I don't argue with people on Twitter in general because it's not really a good idea. Like, you have 140 characters per tweet. What are you going to say? Um, but there are some people who, you know, by following them or following you, like you can really start to gain a different understanding of how people work. And, you know, I feel like sometimes that gets lost when you, block an entire section of the internet as much as I, I don't, you know, like there's, there's arguments for and against it. Right. Cause like, why should you deal with the frustration of like these people who are saying terrible things in your opinion? Um, and maybe in general societal opinion, they are just terrible, but it's important to acknowledge sometimes that they're there.
3: So Kat brings up an interesting dilemma. One thing that's cool about Twitter, at least in theory, is the idea that you can use it to talk to people who are outside your own social bubble, people you wouldn't normally run into in real life, people who are maybe on the other side of the world or just maybe from a different background with a different set of assumptions who maybe disagree with you. Most of us are probably pretty awkward and inept when it comes to confronting these people we don't agree with, even when it's mediated by the internet. But there is one person who has this absolutely mastered.
2: Uh, Talib Kweli, uh, BKMC, Ebony Man, Apollo Legend. If you
3: don't know, Talib Kweli is a hip-hop artist from Brooklyn. He was one half of the duo Blackstar with Mos Def. He's worked with Kanye West, Kendrick Lamar, Pharrell Williams, and many others, and he's released so many albums that it's difficult to count. Now he runs a record label called Javoti Media. Kweli is often referred to as a conscious rapper because he talks a lot about social issues, and he also talks about these social issues on Twitter. It's extra amazing to me that Kweli is so prolific because he spends so much time talking to people on Twitter. He'll talk about race or religion or gender. He's weighing in on the controversy over casting a light-skinned black woman in the Nina Simone biopic, for example, and you can watch him as he fires out a tweet a minute. I went to see Quali play a show with his band at the Blue Note in the West Village a few weeks ago with Motherboard editor Derek Mead. We watched his Twitter, and he was tweeting right up until the show, and then he started tweeting again immediately after. At the time this podcast was recorded, Talib Quali had 1,077,973 followers on Twitter. Motherboard editor-in-chief Derek Mead and I decided to talk to him about why he debates people, how he does it, and why he doesn't bother with Facebook. This episode is about how people talk to each other on Twitter. I wanted to ask you about your Twitter strategy. Um,
2: Well, you know, Twitter is something I think that uh, works well with certain personalities. And I think with hip-hop artists, rappers in particular, uh, I think we take to Twitter like fish to water because it's set up where you have to sort of get your thoughts out in 140 character burst, and that's sort of the same amount of space you have for two bars. So I think rappers uh, or lyric writers are always thinking in couplets anyway, and thinking how do you how do you convey something that is uh, heady and deep, or something that's complex and in a simple way. And Twitter is a great exercise in that. So when I first got on Twitter, it was because Questlove texted me and he was like this is back in like 2008 i think and he's like you need to be on twitter and i'm like i heard of twitter but why would i why do i need to be on twitter he's like no you don't understand the way that you write lyrics and the way that you like to debate you need to be on twitter and I, he was he was brilliant for telling me that because he was exactly right i love to write i love to debate and so twitter is as i think for someone like me just a perfect medium
3: yeah, this this is all making so much sense to me after watching what you do on Twitter. And for the listeners, you have a very unique approach to Twitter where you seem to just never get tired. You're
2: always <laughs> engaging that my, with that people. My, is, that what, is that what people think of me? <laughs> this is hilarious.
3: This is what I've noticed: is you just mm-hmm. you seem totally tireless. You're engaging with people even when they disagree with you and you'll talk to people about the same topic for hours or days or you know talk about it for a while leave it alone and come back to it and i just i really admire your your ability to
2: stay patient with that Um, thank you that's not something that endears me to everybody but i think that the people you know i think the people who get it get it and it's like it it allows me to to cut off the fluff, I've been doing this for twenty years. I'm forty years old, so I don't have to worry about losing fans. If I've lost you as a fan, I, you were never my fan to begin with. At this point, I can only I can only gain fans, so it makes no sense for me to cow or not be as direct. And and when people come to my Twitter, they're getting my personality. And um, I think you know sometimes a lot of hip hop fans approach music in a way where they want to separate the art from the struggle and just listen to the beats and the rhymes and just have fun with it but hip-hop is a m- music in particular that the art is connected with the struggle so you so I, I may have fans who may be fans of my rap skills or maybe they like a song or two or maybe they like a whole album but they may not be fans of some of the issues i address on on my albums or they may not even be understanding are getting that I'm addressing issues. They just like the music. And so when I start to address and talk about these issues on Twitter, which is a lot more personable than a song, sometimes people get confused and I get a lot of times fans who be like, "I'm not here for this and I'm not I I've been a fan for a long time and I don't like what you're saying and as a, as as a fan, I'm an entitled fan who you should be saying things I agree with because I support your music." You know, and so that's something that I found is interesting and I've had to really think about as I tweet, like, well, who who is my fan? And I, even when I've discussed that publicly, that's been a point of contention because when you start classifying fans, the fans who don't make the classification start feeling offended.
3: Recently, uh, I mean, you tweet about stuff that's, like, uh, easy to find in your music, um, like about race and about treating women, and but you also go, like, a little bit off book, like um, recently, you were tweeting about spanking um, mm-hmm. and telling people that hitting their kids is shitty parenting. And of course, a lot of people get really riled up about this and say, you know, like I was spanked and I turned out fine, or I mm-hmm. I spank my kids and they're fine, mm-hmm. and you have no right to call me a shitty parent. And like, go back to talking about music.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, one thing I've, I've one thing I've learned about social network in general that I've, I'm 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 proud of myself for is. Um, there's an academic language, there's an activist language, there's a social network language, or whether you're saying it's lit, or whether you're saying stop, or yes, clean, or whether you're saying someone is not being an ally, or talking about intersectionality, or talking about uh, anecdotal evidence, or talking about cognitive disson- dissonance, there's, there's terms, there's this, there's this new cornucopia of terms that are, that are being used on social media that are mixed streets and internet T- terminology and academia. And if you don't pay attention to that language, you'll find yourself in debates and you're having a whole different debate than the person you're talking to because y'all talking on different things. You, I see a lot, of, a lot of conversations that happen between like feminist and chauvinist where it's like neither one of them, like, you know, clearly a chauvinist is not equal to a feminist, you know what I'm saying? But like neither one of them are, are they're, they're speaking in such different terms that no one's even communicating with each other, and and so the, the thing about the spanking thing that I noticed on the internet that I didn't realize was such a problem in the way that people debate, and I'm and Twitter has shown me this is that, that people really do think that antidotes antidotes are evidence for things. They people really think this. They really think that because they told us cool cool story, bro, that that's some sort of evidence, regardless of what the science says, regardless of what the experts say, regardless of what studies have been done. My pop didn't beat me and I'm fine. So that must be true. Or I know most of the black people I know uh, don't watch parks and recreation. So no black people watch parks and recreation. And people just present these assumptions and opinions and these antidotes as factual evidence. And it's just a very flawed way to engage with people and i've had several arguments that start off talking about something important and then by the end by two days later we're just talking about how to properly engage each other and whether or not we're even speaking in the same language and and that's something that i have to get better at because because i like to debate and argue i'll take that to the end rather than just realize okay this person clearly is not on my level debate wise so let me just stop but what i'll what i'll do is Uh, and it's it's probably very ego-based is i'll use their ignorance or their weak point to sort of as a canvas to paint the picture i'm painting and and to expose this mentality to the world like like do you to everyone else who gets what i'm saying do you see how not to argue like that's sort of what i'm doing
3: there was one exchange where uh you kind of talked about this or already about how rappers can speak in couplets but someone just sort of threw up their hands and said uh dude, I can't explain my entire view with 140 characters, and you shot back, I can.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you have a weak point, it's very hard to explain it in simple terms, and that's what happens. And I, I find, you know, I've had, I have people who shut down their Twitter pages when they get frustrated, and that, that's, that's one thing. That's one thing that I, I want. There, there, there are certain go-tos that when people have weak points, they start using antidotes. They start using personal attacks. They start saying Twitter doesn't have the cap the limit the, the character limit is the problem. They start playing oppression Olympics. They be like, oh, look. So if I talk about child spanking is bad, they say, well, why don't you talk about rappers who are gangster rappers who are talking about killing other rappers? Like they start, you know, trying to, you know, ha- trying to compare and compa- contrast things that that don't make sense, that that don't compare and contrast because they they have no point to stand on. Yeah. And um. And I think that a lot of what I've noticed is that because I'm very confident in what I speak about, I do not speak about things I don't know about. If someone presents a point that I haven't thought of, I'm very quick to acknowledge that point and be like, I didn't think about it like that. And and I'm very quick to thank people for pushing back and challenging me and giving me things I didn't think about. But I'm also very sure about the things I'm saying. And I've I realized that people jump up and jump onto my timeline about things that they haven't spent any time studying. They haven't spent any time researching. They haven't spent any time thinking about, but they form strong opinions that are often based on lack of information and based on traditional knowledge, like just how the way the world is. Though people start sentences with things like, well, all I know is. That's, that's a tell to me. All you know, there's so much more in the world that you don't know. So if you're basing your argument on all you know, that's flawed from the get.
3: Yeah, and- I think that's really critical to be able to stop and admit when you're wrong or say, you know, you, sh- you told me about something new. I'm going to think about that for a while, right. um, which like, a lot I'm not, of I'm, not I'm not wrong often.
2: But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong often. I'm not, you that know what I too, am. To I, never be wrong. Yeah. When I am, it's, it, I'm wrong about big things. Like I'm, I'm just, it's something I didn't think about. Like, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I have to realize. I think if I'm going to critique myself, I have to realize that people and I have to approach it. And the, when, when I approach it like that, when I keep in mind, that you know what, if I'm talking about child rearing, it's because my parents are excellent parents, and my my brother's, a, you know, the premier constitutional lawyer in the country. I'm a I'm a respected rapper. If if anecdotes if anecdotal evidence meant anything, no one should beat their kids because my parents didn't beat me. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. we turned out great, but I can't even use that as evidence because to me, that's not how well me and my brother have done in life. It's not evidence that you shouldn't be spent. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like so I don't I don't bring that up, but. But at the same time, I realized that, you know, I, I know about child rearing because my kids are 18 and 16. If we're talking about hip hop, I live hip hop. If we're talking about Nina Simone, y'all not going to tell me more about Nina Simone than what I already know. You know what I'm saying? So I have to realize that I'm talking to people who have not studied this stuff. They don't. And and that's why I spend a lot of time trying to provide links and links. And and the more I think of my more I approach it in a a teacher way, the better the conversations are some if I the more my ego is involved, the less I'm teaching and less I'm just sort of exposing and clowning people.
3: So Derek is a little bit more responsive to talking to people on Twitter like Mm -hmm. journalists get, I think, a fair bit of conversation from people. And it's kind of like what you were just saying about people who come back with anecdotal evidence or they they talk about something that they don't really know about. It's like if you're a journalist. You write a story. Maybe it's something you've written many stories about before. You you really like are starting from a base of knowledge, and then someone on the internet just like parachutes in and says you're wrong because I feel very strongly that you're wrong. Right. So like for me, I just sh- I just shut down. I think this is the if this well, is the type of person who's going to be a jerk to me on Twitter, then I will never change this person's mind. I give up. I I'm gonna block you.
2: Right i mean i do i think i i definitely think the opposite if i see a challenge i'm running towards that challenge i'm like oh somebody's challenging my intellect i'm i'm all in <laughs> so that's what that's that's one thing on me that's that's an ego thing for me definitely it's it's more than an ego thing though because i realize that me accepting those challenges makes me a better thinker makes me a uh, makes me a better artist like if i the more i'm the more i'm the better i'm able to defend my point the better i the better off i am so i i look at it as exercise but as far as not changing people's minds, because that's something that people say, say to me often. Why? Well, first we have to understand, well, I'll talk about that later because I think all of us on this call, we would have to even define what a troll is and if it's even worth talking to a troll. And at what point does someone cross the line from being someone who genuinely is interested in a subject and genuinely just disagrees with you to them being a troll? You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's a whole separate conversation. But as far as not changing people's minds, I mean- I change people's minds all the time, and I don't say that to pat myself on the back, but even in, this, in, the, in the child abuse conversation, the spanking conversation, at least 20 people in this last week have tweeted me and said, I never thought about the things you said. Of course they didn't because people don't think of parenting as a job or something that you have to study. So they say, I never thought about it. And now that you presented some evidence and point, I've changed my mind. I'm breaking the cycle. I, I used to beat my kids. I will never do it again. This has happened 20 times in the last week. So if 20 kids are not getting beat this week because I decided to be a bastard on Twitter, then, then, it's, then it's worth it for me. And, and I have examples of people's minds that I've changed, not just on that subject, but on, on many subjects.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the thing that I want what you said about trolls is really fascinating because that's what stands out to me the most is that some people are generally trolls and they're just saying things that are angry, but other people just have like really bad delivery in what they're trying to say. And I think right. what I'm impressed by what you do is that you always like or seem I have no idea what your timeline looks like. Your mentions are probably terrible with, you know, a million people following you. But okay. being able to like address people and be like, what is your actual argument? Like what is it you're trying to say? Like how do you how do you like what's how do you put up with that all day?
2: um well i you know i'm since i started my career i'm one of the artists who some artists say i never look at press i never look at comment sections i never look at reviews i don't know i i i don't i I'm, i don't know if that's bullshit or not but i look at everything i look at everything i could possibly find you know what i'm saying like i just just me as an artist i'm very interested in how people are critiquing me, how I'm coming across, what people are saying. So it's natural for me to, um, when I wake up, scroll down and look at Twitter. I don't, you know what? Actually, that's not completely true. I don't go on Facebook at all, because what you guys are saying about not wanting, like, how do you deal with, like, the question that that you just asked me about trolls? Like, I, that's how I feel about Facebook. I'm not even engaging in Facebook. To, like, I'm not even. You know, this just, would just fucking ruin my whole day if I go on Facebook. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't go on it at all. I post stuff daily. That, just my, my Twitter and Instagram are linked to my Facebook. So the same stuff that I post on Twitter and face, uh, Instagram is seen on Facebook, but the comments are opposite. Whereas, like, on, on Twitter and Instagram, if 90% of the people agree with me in the comments, 10% will just be like, you know, assholes about it. But, um, on Facebook it's like ninety percent of just assholes and like one voice of reason. Like you know what I'm saying? Like, um, wait, guys, it's not what he meant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um so I you know, I would have definitely have to explore that, but I just think that it's it's about You know, I if I'm if I'm going to engage somebody really and I'm going to have a conversation, I look at their page. I look to see how many followers they have. I look at their bio, look at what they look like, look what they're tweeting about so I kind of know who I'm talking to. And that's why if, if you notice if I'm very quick on the draw when someone says something not something nonsensical, I'm very quick to pull out an old tweet that had nothing to do with the conversation to prove that this person is a crazy person because Mm -hmm. before I even talked to them, I already went to their page and screenshotted it just in case they said something crazy. (laughs) I I have noticed that.
3: I have noticed that. And and it's also interesting how you, you make sure all these conversations are public.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, one thing I, and I got into a real bad argument over some comments I made having to do with Rick Ross and his lyrics from a, you ain't you ain't even know people accused him of having lyrics that condone rape. And um, you know, and there was a whole bunch of discussion about it. And I went on HuffPost to Post Live with Mark myhill and I went on with a couple of activists who are friends of mine, uh, Jamila from Jamila Lemieux from uh from Ebony magazine and, and and professor activist Rosa Clemente, and we got into a heated discussion about whether or not Rick Ross is hip hop or not, or whether or not Lil Wayne is hip hop or not. Because the sisters were saying, you know, his their, their misogynist lyrics, we don't consider that hip hop, so they, he's not hip hop to us. My my point was, misogyny or not, they're still hip hop, and we need to embrace them in hip hop if we're gonna if we're gonna correct them. Um, that was and my examples were, you know, Dmx, Jay Z. Biggie, Eminem, have all said misogynistic things, and some of those artists have said things worse than what Pete Rick Ross said, but we don't, we don't say that they're not hip-hop. We can critique within without kicking people off the culture. Um, there was a, a feminist website that got mad at me for these comments, and they did a whole sort of expose about how I'm not a good feminist ally. Um, and the, the problem I had with what they did was they basically took the comments I, I said that they didn't like, and posted those comments. No, actually, excuse me, they didn't even do that. What they did was they basically posted their interpretation of what how what I said made them feel. So when you read the whole piece, and it was very several paragraphs long, there's no direct quotes of anything I said. There's no link to the interview. It's just this person said, Talib Kwali said this nonsense and I don't like it, and here's why I don't like it, here's why it's wrong. But they didn't even list what I actually said. And um and so something like that really bothered me because then it became Kuali is a rape apologist and Kuali condones rape. And these became the headlines around this this t- subject because some person on the internet with a following just decided to say it, you know what I'm saying? like, And so that was alarming to me that someone could just say something and not even at least post a link to what you actually said. And that's acceptable to intelligent people. Like these were intelligent people who were commenting on it. It wasn't like intelligent people who care about issues, you know? So it was – so an experience like that teaches me that when I'm having a conversation online, everything that everyone is saying needs to be public. And I'm very—I I call people if people are if people who have large followings are talking about me and they don't at me, I'm gonna come and say something about them because we—I feel like we're a community of people who have p- platforms. We need to be respectful of each other if we're gonna talk about each other. So whether it's. You know, uh, some activists, or you know, whether it's like a dude like Bomani Jones from ESPN, who I respect. This is a dude who I respect, but he don't like my music, and he spends a lot of time tweeting about how boring my music is. So one day I just had enough, <laughs> and I'm like, "What? the You're corny, man. What the fuck? What is this about?" You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's uh-huh. like, "Yo, I wasn't talking to you." I'm like, yeah, but you're talking about me. You got two hundred thousand followers.
3: Yeah, you won't put up with the subtweet.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think? uh that you know, some of this is like just the the problem with or is a problem with the the medium itself. I feel like, you know, people who are saying things online who just, you know, say something just because they want to say it or like you were saying before when they jump into your timeline just to argue with you even though they have no idea what they're talking about. I feel like that wouldn't happen if you guys were just like sitting like at a coffee shop or something. Like someone wouldn't just be like, Oh, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm just gonna start going at it. Like what is the product of that?
2: Well, that's exactly right. And social media makes people feel comfortable and they can invent personalities. I heard Jay-Z say something a couple of years ago, which made him sound kind of old, but he was correct. And they were talking about the music business and with the problem with the music business. He said the problem is, is that there's no sort of... um there's no checkpoint where there's no sort of quality control where you have to go through a certain process before you even get to post your music online before you even. So now just anyone can say anything. Same thing with parenting. Like that's interesting with the parenting discussion. The reason why so many people have an issue that the problem is that any idiot can be a parent. There's no, there's no sort of form you have to fill out. There's no mm-hmm. test you have to take. So these are people who just are not smart or have not, or never thought about these issues. These And is you know, you know, I, that's the way the world is supposed to be like that. The world is supposed to be where anyone could be a parent. But this is just the side effect. The s- side effect, some kids are going to get smacked because we have some lazy parents.
0: You know, I think it was really interesting what you said uh, before about people having personalities online because this mm-hmm. is kind of, like, essential to hip-hop, right? Like, there's people mm-hmm. like yourself that are very... uh open with their thoughts and like very open with their experience. And there's other people that still have like, you know, they're sharing their experience, but it's also built around kind of building a character, like saying mm-hmm. who you are. Like, how does that, how does that translate into, you know, trying to present yourself online?
2: Uh, that's a, I think that's an excellent question. One thing that I pride myself on is that it's the, you know, it's the, the, uh, the, um, the, the line from planes, trains, and automobiles delivered by John, John Candy. <laughs> it's a genuine article. You see what you get. Like, my name is Talib quali Green. That's a picture of me that you see. You know, I am the rapper from Brooklyn. These are my thoughts. They're very consistent with my music. And it's you, know, you what you see is what you get. There's no, you know, I have no, you know, super black God supreme is not my Twitter handle. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, you can't read my agenda from just my Twitter handle. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of people, you know, I've had arguments with people before when I was having an argument with, you know, a community of dudes who were... Um, there's a there's a community of, of there's there's people in our community who are upset at Black Lives Matter. Um uh, you know, the three women, the three black gay women who started this, this this hashtag and then this organization Black Lives Matter and there's a lot of misogynists and homophobes in our community who, you know, who are upset at the fact that, you know, that these are these are black gay women standing up and that are, are getting attention for it. And they feel jealous and their their egos and are hurt and they have this fragility and they you could tell by their names, you know, Hotep God and and black Supreme, Allah, and this and that. And this is in no way me making fun of the 5% community because that's the community I come from. The 5% Nation is an Islamic Black community founded in Harlem. I'm raised in Brooklyn in 5% community. I have a great respect for the nation of the gods and earths. Um, but there's a lot of people who take, you know, sort of this community pseudoscience that's, that exists in our community because of lack of self-esteem. You know, you have young, young men who... The system is set up, is designed to trap them, so they sort of misdirect their anger at black women, or at, you know, or you know, they they just they, they become misogynist, or so they become they they think they, they try to imitate the oppressor because they're not really in it for freedom. They're in it so they can get the same power that their oppressor has, which is a flawed way to sort of get liber- liberation. To sort of imitate who's who's got their foot on your neck.
0: See, and that's an excellent point too because I think when you're going to looking at people taking a persona, right, like I think, I'm from California, right, so I think Mm I always think of gangster rap and you have someone like King T, right, who's, Mm -hmm. you know, on the cover, you know, with a Cadillac and a shotgun and it's like, all right, well, there's a character he's playing a -hmm. bit, but also, like, he had to earn that, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're on Twitter and you're saying like, this is who I am, I'm just gonna like, you know, be a caricature of something, you don't have to earn that at all anymore, right? I mean, it's just you can just be who you want.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's that's the internet, that's that's from you know that's that's as soon as social networks really you know the MySpace thing, Friendster, like when these things became popular, you no longer had to show up in the flesh, and then you could just be who you want. And that's something that, that this that I've noticed that a younger generation um, embraces. Like for me, I you know I I I, I feel like everybody in this phone call was remembers being an adult when there was no prolific internet to go on. You know what I'm saying? And um, and I, did the idea that you would just fake. And be someone else, and be be a troll, and not be who you are. And this was not something. This was things that were. There was something frowned upon at least in hip hop. It's not you know you just you gotta be keep it real, right? But now it's the idea that you can become whoever you want on the internet is something that this generation fully embraces for better or for worse. And um, I think it's injected sometimes into conversations when it doesn't need to be.
0: Yeah, I was going to say to bring it full circle. I mean, when you have people that are. Kind of just making up whatever persona they want to be you don't have to prove who they are i don't have mm-hmm. to own that does that like end up also creating the idea that you can just say whatever you want and just like if it feels that way then it's probably true
2: that's exactly right i mean and it's, it's like the, it's like the wild wild west There's like people are now pioneering the internet back in the days you know back in the days you should show up in a town and be like i'm a doctor i got these tonics you know what i'm saying and people would just take your tonic And then and then you go to the next town and pull your routine. Or you back in the days, you know, if you were little little Walter playing a harmonica, you heard little Walter playing harmonica on the radio, you could just show up at the local nightclub and be like, I'm little Walter. (laughs) Pay me. You know, if you see the movie Cadillac Records, there's a scene where little little Walter character jumps out of a car and and shoots somebody for for being like, nah, I'm little Walter. You know what I'm saying? Like that used to go down. You know, Herbie Lovebug, who managed Salt and Pepper, tells a story. Back in 1985, 86, him going hearing that Salt and Pepper was performing at a nightclub, and he's like, "No, they not." And he went to the <laughs> nightclub, and Salt and Pepper's up there, but it's not his group. And he went up there and tried to stop him from performing. He got kicked out the club. You know, so that, that's the crazy. internet is so the internet is bringing that back.
3: If you you can show up on the internet and put up your avatar and like make your screen name something, uh, you know, uh, that is the person that you want to be, right? Um, you can also have people who just kind of, like, like anybody can talk to you. Like, uh-huh. a- anybody, any education level, any community, anywhere around the world mm-hmm. can yell at you, Talib pally on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Do you notice any patterns in the people who talk to you? Like, I'm kind of curious if you see more black people from the hip-hop community or if you see more white people who are just, like, dudes on Twitter who think that they... You know, have a right to say something because they're a dude on
2: Twitter, right? <laughs> I mean, I think you know, I have, I have I have about a million followers. I would, I mean, just as just as this is my unscientific, my unscientific guess is that out of my million followers, there's probably a hundred to two hundred thousand out of that million that might be true, true fans, black, white, whatever, regardless of race sex whatever these are just people who are fans of mine they might not agree with every single thing i say but they like me as an artist and they're following you know what i'm saying i think then there's another couple of hundred who are just following celebrity you know and i think those are the people who show up like whoa dude i'm a fan why are you saying this you know what i'm saying i think that's that crew Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: and then i think there's another few hundred thousand that are either that are deaf. There's definitely a couple of hundred thousand that are bots, but there's definitely another <laughs> couple hundred thousand that are just like people who are just following me because I'm looked at as a symbol for a certain type of uh, mindset in the black community. I, mm-hmm. I have people who follow me who are just who are Trump supporters. I have like white genocide, Nazi type people following me. I have conservative pundits follow me because they want to argue my points. And they, okay. they hope that I pop up on the feed and say something that they can hop in an argument with me for. So that's what I've noticed.
3: Okay. So, like, the Trump supporters and the Nazis, like, do you ever just block those people? Like, what does it take for you to actually block someone?
2: <laughs> that's I, that's a good question. It, it takes really with what's going on in my mind at the time. For For the first three, four years on Twitter, I didn't block anyone. Because, I know, I blocked one dude who was, like, threatening my kids by name. But beyond that, mm. I was like, I didn't yeah, block anyone. Okay yeah because i was like i looked at it like why would i even give you the satisfaction of blocking you Mm -hmm. and then and then when i started engaging more and discussions became more and more heated i ended up blocking a couple of people a year but a a few months ago i decided that for my own sanity i was going to start blocking more randomly and it's it's helped to be honest with you it really it really has the more that i've started blocking people I didn't realize how liberating that was. Um, so um, I block a lot more people than I do now. And now it really, it really definitely depends on my mentality at the time. If I'm in the middle of a discussion and you say something dumb, I'm that has nothing to do with discussion, or you, you know, I'm probably just going to block you and move on. Um, if you say something that you, it doesn't have to be dumb, but if if it's offensive, offensively stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's dumb and racist or yeah. dumb and misogynist or something like that, then I'm you're getting an automatic block. But if it's really really dumb, like spectacularly dumb, then I'm probably going to retweet it and and make fun <laughs> of you.
0: What's an yeah. example of something spectacularly dumb? What do I got to do to get retweeted by you for being dumb?
2: <laughs> uh, one guy I was looking at, one guy I blocked, he showed up and said he was he was tweeting me, he was he was I was talking about the the why you shouldn't beat children because children have human rights and he kept tweeting me dumb shit like like points that made no sense points that other people had tried to make more eloquently but still made no sense and he had tweeted me like five tweets in a row and i kept seeing it and it was annoying because i was scrolling and trying to get to like more challenging comments and then he wrote um he wrote talib stop it you know there's no no such thing as rights <laughs> and when he wrote you know there's no such thing as rights that's when i'm like this is a and you know what i did i took a screenshot of all the tweets he said and he i put this person is a moron and then i blocked
3: (laughs) (laughs) him. yeah okay so tell me if this is a little bit of a stretch but i think that the problem with my strategy of just blocking people and trying to forget about them is that it It, like, keeps you silent, especially if people are being abusive or disrespectful. Mm -hmm. It means you just, like, you just shut up about it and you try to forget about it. But, like, of course, it's nagging at you a little bit. Right. I remember reading about catcalling, like, uh, that if you're a woman walking through the city and someone yells something at you, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, give me a smile or whatever, uh, that... It doesn't discourage them at all if you respond, but it makes you feel better and makes you feel empowered. It helps that's protect your accurate. mental health. Yeah. So I wonder if the same is true on Twitter. If you just like retweet someone, you're like, "You're a moron," instead of just like trying to silence them and move on. If that's like better for protecting your
2: sanity. Yeah, I think you know. It, I think it is. I think it's a survival thing. You know, I th- when I when I when someone says I'm dumb like that, and it's a, it's a way. And to me, someone to me, someone who says there's no such thing as rights. That's someone who's my enemy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, there's no such thing as rights. Then shit, you might be prone to do anything if you think I have no rights.
5: Mm. You
0: know what I'm
2: saying? So that's something I think, you know, we all go into survival mode, even online. And I think when I retweet that for my million followers, it's because I'm showing people that we need to have each other's back against stuff like this. So it's like I'm being protective of myself. And I'd like to think that I'm just exposing a mentality, but sure, the way that you... Like how you said with the catcalling thing, it makes you feel better. Yeah, I do it because it makes me feel better. Because if I do that and then someone retweets it and, and it's like, wow, what the fuck? What is wrong with that guy? It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm not tripping. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's definitely something that is more about how I feel than it is about actually doing something. And and so that's why I think I, I describe it as... You know, just really exposing the mentality. I, I had an interesting discussion with a young lady who, about with the spanking thing, who was agreeing with me, but she was very not upset, but concerned at my approach. And she's like, "The way that you're coming at parents, calling them shitty parents, you're shaming people. you shame people. They're not going to respond. You have mm-hmm. to be empathetic." The point she was making to me was the same point I was making to Rosa and Jamila about Rick Ross. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, and I think there's a time for empathy, you know, and I. But there's also a time for shame. You know what I'm saying? And that's the point they were making to me. They were they they were like, okay, you can be empathetic because you're a rapper and you're a black man and you 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 might you know this you might you might know you know this guy personally, you know what I'm saying? So you could look at it like, like you could approach it like, hey brother, you know, maybe you could have found a better way to say it. you shouldn't say that. There's no excuse for that, you know? Um or they could approach it like, fuck you, you're not hip hop. How dare you? Shame on you. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I was coming at the, the parents. My whole thing with that is that Twitter is a choice. If I was knocking on people's doors and be like, "Hey, you're a bad parent." Or if I was showing up at people's mentions like, "Hey, I know you don't know me, but I heard you beat your kid and you shouldn't do that." That would I I that would be corny of me, you know what I'm saying? But I think when I'm having a discussion and you jump up out of whatever stop whatever you're doing to tweet me something like, "Fuck that, I'm gonna beat my kids." Then I'm gonna call you a moron, because you chose, you chose, you chose to show up and say that, and you you don't deserve my empathy. You you deserve to be shamed when you made that choice. I think.
0: And this is something that always stands out to me, and I think um, you know makes so much sense for you as well. as like how direct it is, because think about you know you've been rapping for like 20 years, and like you know Reflection Eternal is probably my favorite rap album. I'm um, just thinking like when you're rapping, like you know if you're You're definitely delivering a message, but it's also, like, part of music, right? Like, people have to listen to the lyrics, and sometimes people don't. But on Twitter, like, you can be so much more direct to what they're doing. Like, after rapping for 20 years, like, you're finding more fun than that, or, like, you find it more useful to be able to say specifically to people, like, to talk directly at them. At
1: this
2: point,
0: we had some Skype
2: issues. Hello? Hey. (laughs) Sorry. Would would you ask me?
3: If you feel like it's more fun to just talk directly to people.
2: No. Twitter in no way compares to making music or rapping. It's not nearly as fun it's fun but it's not not nearly as fun it's it's for me it's a great tool It's something that um you know twitter you know my space before it are things that i've utilized to in the industry i haven't had major marketing dollars for for years when my when get by and reflection internal came out those are records that there was millions of marketing dollars spent on that hasn't happened in my career in years so the way that I maintain relevancy is, well, I maintain relevancy by making good music. But the way that I get the word out is by social network and social media. And I've been able to raise my profile and let people into my personality, for better or for worse, um, more because of social media. Um, and it's really driven um, you know, a large part of my fan base to, to engage with me directly, which is, is a great thing for an artist like me.
0: Do you feel it's easier to get your message across when you're tweeting versus your music?
2: Um, no, no, no. I mean, with music, a great thing about music is that music you can enjoy whether you agree with the message or not. And then if, with any luck, the message will seep in. Um, you know, I think that Twitter is just, Twitter is you know, is, I, I have a book deal. When I write my book, I think that'll get the mess I, that that'll get my messages and my story across more than the music, and more than, than definitely more than social media. Um, you know, because you could peruse it and study it and research it and go back. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is, is is about the now, and I think it's Twitter is like it's, it's sparring to me. You know, it's it's like it's sparring. It's 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 the guy on a basketball court, you know, doing suicide drills. I think that's our
3: yeah. cold open, Derek. <laughs>
2: um, that's a great
0: line
3: <laughs> so I have two questions left for you and Derek has one and then we can let you get back to your busy schedule and thanks again okay. so much for taking the time so um, you have a million followers and uh, I know you get a lot of people talking at you do you think that the way you use Twitter now would be sustainable if you had
2: more like 10 million followers Um, I don't know I I the way I've tweeted and the way that people respond was has definitely, it definitely changes the more followers you have. When I was, I remember being at 50,000 followers and it being like a complete community. And at around 100,000, it became a lot of haters started being involved. And around two hundred, three hundred thousand, 300,000, I remember, I'm like, okay, people are tweeting me who don't like me. That's different. You know what I'm saying? Like the more followers you get, the more people are calling for your head. And mm-hmm. so if you look at Kanye West followers or diddy's followers i mean these guys are polarizing and cultural icons but but i mean i'm i'm polarizing in my lane to an extent you know when you look at these guys mentioned you have people literally threatening to kill them and saying the most heinous things to these guys like all all the time you know what i'm saying and i think anyone whether it's it's miley cyrus or diddy if you have around 10 million followers people as you have a large portion of them are, are there for for your fall and your demise yeah did you like
0: it more when you had fifty thousand followers?
2: Um, I liked the convers the conversations more. It was less defending the 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 right to even have a point. There was less yeah. The, the, there was less like pushback. Well, you shouldn't be saying this because you're a rapper. Well, shit like yeah. that, you know. But but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm adept.
3: This is kind of where I think Twitter has to has to do something because. If you get so many followers, it just becomes unusable. And there's, I think there's a couple tools for sorting through who's talking to you. Um,
2: yeah, they no, well, they, 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 they even offered me one back in, like, I went there a couple, few months ago, and they told me, they, hey, there's a way that you, re- there's a program or something they had offered me where I could only see certain tweets, and I was like, that would defeat the whole point for me. Oh, really? Yeah, because if I'm only seeing certain tweets, I might as well stop the like citizens. the whole the, the whole way I what what I what I've mm-hmm. built in my Twitter organically is that I'm that I am engaged. Like what I think, what I've been able to do that very few celebrities have been able to do is tweet like a regular person. There's the way that a regular person or quote unquote regular person would tweet, and the way a celebrity would tweet would be different. You you know, um, and I'm not talking about talking about people walking down the red carpet and, and nonsense like that, but just in terms of what 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 would push your buttons? what would you engage to what would you, it, it, like mm-hmm. a lot of people who who question how I respond I'm like if you if your mentions were like mine, you'd lose your mind. you'd be on Twitter yeah. all the time trying to respond to everybody you know what I'm saying so it's like people only say that because they have no no clue really what it is I'm dealing with over here. you know what I saying
3: yeah okay, so that that is a good segue for my final question, which is.
0: Uh-oh, it's a big one. Do,
3: <laughs> um do, what is your advice for people using Twitter? How do you, how do people use Twitter right to get the most out of it?
2: I think my advice would be if you don't have a brand or something that you're actively trying to promote or sell and push, whether whether that's a whether it's a brand of, of activism or whether it's a brand of selling cupcakes you know like if you don't have a brand or something, then twitter is maybe a waste of your time so if you want to maximize your time on, on twitter it should be centered around building up whatever it is that you're trying to promote or whatever brand it is that you have um, you know so when i tweet um you know i'm trying to push all my traffic towards qualityclub.com which is my store Where you can buy clothes and candles and books and music and all types of wonderful things um i'm trying to push people towards javoti media which is my record company where i have artists coming out and music coming out constantly so even when i'm tweeting about spanking or i'm tweeting about something like that every time i engage in those conversations my follows go up by 50 by 100 by 200 by a thousand Every time I have those conversations, so even though I'm talking about things that are passionate to me, it's 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 a win-win because I'm drawing I'm drawing more more attention to what I'm doing. Like people, they'd be deep, I have friends of mine be like, oh damn, you on Twitter again? Damn, you know? Oh, <laughs> so people would be like, you're not working? You're not? I'm like, ah, uh, actually, during the spanking conversation, five people have bought uh, books from QualityClub.com. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. so it's like I I look at it as much as I do enjoy it, um, and as much as it's it's genuine for me, I wouldn't be doing it. It would be a waste of time if every time, every single time I got on Twitter, I wasn't sending traffic to to what I'm doing. Like if and if you notice, even a lot of the topics I talk about, when people ask for advice or ask for things, I'm like, hey, qualityclub.com, we got that.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Do you uh, do you usually use your phone or uh, do you use a laptop for Twitter? I use my phone. Damn, so you're just tapping on that thing all day long. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, awesome.
0: uh, I only had one more question, and uh, I've actually thought about this before, but um, it's a uh, you drop the line reflection eternal. It's a quote. It's like if you can talk, you can sing. If you can walk, you can dance. Yeah. Uh, how does that
2: apply to Twitter? <laughs> Um, if you, can, if talk, you can, can rap,
3: you can tweet.
2: <laughs> Not quite. If you can tweet, you can rap. Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Hmm. Maybe I should look into a rapping career. <laughs> Maybe. I think my Twitter is pretty good.
2: Maybe. Well,
3: awesome. Thank you so much, Tully Thank you. And for the listeners, qualityclub.com. Go buy some books.
2: Yes, and some music, <laughs> and some whatever else we got. Candles awesome. sound good, too. Candles. I have, I have, I have one candle. We're going to we're gonna up the candle section if people buy more. How about that? Oh,
3: good. That's very <laughs> exciting.
0: <laughs> right. Well, Great. thank you for Hope chatting you. with us. I really appreciate it. All right. Y'all, too.
3: So after talking to Talib and Casey and Kat and Katie and some other people we didn't have time to include in this episode, I've slightly revised my approach to Twitter. I'm not ready to go full quality, but I'm going to stop blocking people and start simply muting them. And maybe, sometime, I'll be brave enough to talk back, if only for my own satisfaction. This all may seem like a frivolous topic, and yeah, okay, it's kind of a frivolous topic, but this week was Twitter's 10th anniversary. Negativity, abuse, and harassment is considered one of the company's biggest problems. Maybe I should send Jack Dorsey this podcast.
2: Yeah, man, so I start looking out the window. I see gun store, gun store, store, gun store. Where the fuck are you taking me? Yeah, man.
3: That's our show. The track we played on this episode is Every Ghetto from Talib Kweli and Ninth Wonders 2015 album Indie 500. Thank you to Casey, Katie, Kat, and Talib Kweli. Thank you also to our producer, Mark Liam and Bruni, who puts the show together every week. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes. Tell a friend or make a tweet. We'll see you next week.
2: Every ghetto, every city like Miss Hill. they way too used to the Miss Hill. Hard to concentrate, hard to sit Murderate permanent place in the top 10. We live here, these hipsters drop in. You hear them barrels capping. They say, consciousness, the nigga ain't rugged until they get beat with an of it. Self-made niggas don't get discovered. They acting like you warm something. Homie, I don't owe you nothing. Fuck your beef. It's way too early in the morning for the hate. You ain't brush your teeth yet, nigga. Your toast ain't budding. Perfect storm and the coast is flooded.